Well, we've spent the last two Sundays walking through the book of Ruth, and it is a masterful story, a beautiful story. Uh, it begins with grief and emptiness, uh, famine in, the, in Bethlehem, um, and one family, Elimelech's family, uh, flees to Moab, a foreign nation hoping to survive. But Naomi, Elimelech's uh, wife, uh, Naomi's husband and two adult sons uh, die unexpectedly there in Moab. And so Naomi's left as a widow in a foreign country, and her two daughters-in-law are childless widows. And so it, Ruth, the book, begins in, in darkness, but by the end of the story that, that grief and emptiness have been replaced by joy and fullness. And we've been looking at chapter 1, which took us down into the darkness of Naomi's grief. And at the end of the chapter, she's finally returned to Bethlehem, her homeland. Uh, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, has made the journey with her. And the townspeople are excited. They haven't seen Naomi in, in quite some time, at least a decade. And... Um, as they're excited, uh, she tells them, don't call me Naomi, a name meaning pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. And as we pick up the story in chapter 2 today, um, the, the darkness of Naomi's despair begins to lift. Joy begins to dawn. And so I'm going to read um, Ruth chapter 2 for us, uh, the entire chapter. It's a little bit of a lengthy section, but it's good for us to hear God's word like this. If you want to follow along, that's page 223 in the Pew Bible. It's also printed on pages 8 and 9 in your order of worship. So, Ruth chapter 2. This is God's word. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, 
Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word, and he's given it to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, we are needy this morning. Some of us maybe feel like Naomi at the end of chapter 1. Others of us are weary. Some of us are discouraged. Would you meet us here this morning with your life-giving word of kindness? Would you renew our hope? Would you steady us in the midst of the storm? It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, there was a time early on in our marriage where Stephanie and I were struggling financially, just like many young, newly married couples do. And uh, we lived frugally, but money was tight. Um, Stephanie was pregnant with our first child. We had vehicles that needed to be repaired. We, we were looking for a, a bigger apartment and um, just could not make anything work financially. And we were discouraged. And for my part, at least, it, it felt like my prayers are falling on deaf ears and we didn't see any way for things to get better. And then one day, 
um, a letter arrived from a friend, a, a, a guy, a friend that we had gone to Bible college with. And our friend Sam said he had been thinking about us, and he heard that we were expecting a baby, and he explained that he had some extra money, and he figured that we would be more in need of it than he would since he was a single guy. And included with the letter was a check for $300. Now, $300 wasn't going to alleviate all of our uh, financial woes, but that gesture of kindness, uh, it, it put a dent in the discouragement. And, you know, when life is tough, uh, we're quick to assume with Naomi that God must be against us. He's, he's forgotten us. And, and my friend Sam's kindness that day reminded me that God had not forgotten us. You know, a tiny ray of light started to break through the gloomy clouds. And, and that's what happens here in the book of Ruth, chapter 2, today. God's kindness, his astonishing Kindness meets Naomi and Ruth in the darkness, and it rekindles hope. And so this morning as we look at the chapter, just uh, three points. First, we're going to look at this story of astonishing kindness, and then I want to reflect with you first on God's kind providence, and then the human face of God's kindness. So the story of God's kindness, God's kind providence, and then the human face of God's kindness. So first, the, the story. And just to remind you, the chapter one leaves us asking, um, who is going to provide for Naomi and Ruth? They've come back to Bethlehem, but they have no land to farm that we know of. They're widows, they're childless, they're essentially um, destitutes. And who is going to feed these women? And, and the storyteller begins chapter 2 with a, a little detail. It's, it's like he's saying, hey, here's something you need to know, and just tuck it away in the back of your mind, and then you'll see how it all unfolds. He tells us that right there in verse 1 of chapter 2 that Naomi, who had said, I have nobody to care for me, and the Lord's given up on me, Naomi has a relative, a man named Boaz from her deceased husband Elimelech's clan. And he's not just any relative. Verse 1 tells us he's a worthy man. In other words, um, he's, a number one, a, a wealthy man, a man of means. We'll see he's a landowner. But he's also a, a prominent figure in the community, well-respected. And as the story unfolds, we'll see he's also a man of noble character. And so we don't meet Boaz yet, but the storyteller just says, hey, I want you to know where this is going. It's first... Ruth comes up with a plan. You see, Ruth is not going to just sit by while she and Naomi starve. And so she's going to do something about it. And she proposes to Naomi in verse 2 to, that she's going to go out and gra- gather grain in the barley fields. And th- this is something Israel's law made possible. God's law in the Old Testament made Provision for people like Naomi and Ruth, for, for widows, for orphans, for the poor, for foreigners. And it, the law required landowners to leave the, the grain at the edge of their fields, not to harvest the grain there in the corners, but to leave it for those in need. The law also allowed the poor to go and gather any, anything that had been dropped inadvertently by the harvesters. 
So you have this system just built into the Mosaic law that provided a, a safety net, so to speak, for the economically vulnerable. And, and somehow Ruth the Moabitess knows about all this. So uh, maybe Naomi's family had told her about it when they were living back in, in Moab. But Ruth knows this, and she says, I'm going to go out and, and gather. But remember, important detail we saw in chapter 1, this is the day's of the judges, not not a very not a high point in Israel's history. Um, if you know the book of Judges, you know that men routinely mistreated mistreated women. Uh, the rights of the poor were often denied, and here is Ruth. She's she's a woman, she's poor, and to top it all off, she's a foreigner from Moab, one of Israel's arch enemies. There's no guarantee that the locals will treat her well, which is why in verse 2 she, she says she hopes to find a, a landowner who will show her favor, who will show her grace. And, and keep in mind, she knows nothing about Boaz yet. So verse 3, she goes out. And, and the storyteller, just he says, she just happened to end up in the field of Boaz. And and we might say, by sheer luck, she comes to Boaz's field. And and that's really the sense of the Hebrew. I know we don't like to talk about luck, but but the the storyteller, he he just puts it very woodenly, her chance chanced upon Boaz's field. And he's exaggerating here. It's like he's winking at us and saying, hey, some coincidence that that Ruth ends up in Boaz's field, right? The, the biblical authors don't believe in luck. This, this is no coincidence. God is providentially at work in this story. And so Ruth comes to Boaz's field. She works there in the field. And then in verse 4, guess who comes along? Boaz. He comes from the village, comes out to the fields, he just happens to be visiting his fields that very day that Ruth is there hoping to find a benefactor. And, and we hear Boaz speak. And, and in the biblical stories, often the first words a character speaks tell you something very important about that person. And the first time we hear Boaz speak in verse 4, there's a benediction on his lips. He, he greets his, his field hands. He says, the Lord be with you. And they respond with a blessing. The Lord bless you. You see, Boaz is not just a wealthy man. He's not just a man of standing in the community. He's a godly man. He's a man of deep piety a man who is faithful to Yahweh, Israel's God. And as we're going to see, it's not just words. This is not just, you know, church speak. He's the real deal. And so continuing, Boaz comes to the field and he notices this woman. He doesn't recognize her. He, he asks his foreman about her. And you, you can see how the foreman replies there. Um, to the foreman, she's just a nobody. She's this foreign woman. He, he goes out of his way to emphasize that. She's a Moabitess from Moab. Oh, by the way, the, the one that came with Naomi. And that's all Boaz needed to know. And look at how he addresses Ruth in verse 8. 
He says, now listen, my daughter. They might not strike us this way, but these are words of profound kindness. He doesn't say, now listen, you you foreign woman trying to take grain from my fields, get out of here. He says, my daughter. In other words, you're part of the family. You're part of the clan. Um, you're not an outsider, at, at least not any longer. You, you belong here. And he, he just he puts her at ease. And then he goes on, uh, and you know the story, he goes on to just shower her with kindness. Verse 8, he promises provision. You know, continue working in my fields. You don't need to go anywhere else. You will have everything you need right here. Stay here. Verse 9, he promises her protection. You know, I, I've told my workers not to mistreat you. So in other words, you know, other fields might be dangerous, but my field is going to be a place of safety for you. And Ruth, for her part, as she hears these words coming from Boaz's mouth, she is just overwhelmed by his kindness. And you, you hear it in verse 10. She says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? You know, just, she's just keenly aware of her alien status. And, and she's blown away here by Boaz's kindness. It, it, I think for Ruth, it, it almost seems too good to be true. And, and so she asks this, you know, why? And, and Boaz tells her in, in verse 11, um, I've heard about your devotion to Naomi. He says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. It, it sounds a lot like Abraham's story, doesn't it? It's leaving his home, leaving his family and going to another land. And, and Boaz seems to recognize that this foreign woman is actually a true daughter of Abraham. Uh, he sees in verse 12 that, that behind all of Ruth's actions, leaving Moab, coming to Bethlehem with Naomi, her devotion to Naomi, behind all this, there's faith in Yahweh, the Lord. The, the God of Israel, Boaz says, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's just such a beautiful picture here of the Lord, something we find in, in the Psalms as well. The, this picture of, of our God as a tender protector, like a, a mother bird using her wings to provide warmth and safety to her defenseless young. This is who our God is, a refuge to everyone who comes to him in faith, including now Ruth. And if that wasn't enough, Boaz just decides, let me show some more kindness. Verse 14, And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. So picture the scene here. Ruth, uh, it seems, is standing off to the side alone. Um, perhaps as a foreigner, she kept her distance, not presuming uh, to be welcomed. And, 
And most likely she hadn't brought her own lunch. Um, She and Naomi really didn't have much of their own. She's hungry after working all morning. And and Boaz says, come here and eat. Have your fill. Uh, He invites her to the table. He gives her a place at the table. He invites her to eat bread and drink wine. He, he even we read this detail. He he serves her roasted grain. Um, typically, the host, typically the landowner, did not do the serving, and yet he personally ensures she has food. And then in verses 15 and 16, he instructs his men to to make it really easy for Ruth to gather as much grain as she can. And so, uh, Boaz just goes out of his way to show generosity and kindness to Ruth. And, and all of this, his words, his, his deeds, all of it communicates to this young Moabite widow. It communicates welcome. communicates acceptance. You, you belong here. Be at ease. You, I'm going I'm to provide for you. You're not going to starve. You know, Ruth set out that morning hoping to find someone who would show her favor. And, and she meets in Boaz uh, someone she probably didn't even dream was it was possible to find someone like this. But there's, there's one more uh, scene in this second act of the story, beginning in verse 17. You know, in the morning, Ruth and Naomi have nothing to eat. And now in this, this final scene, Ruth brings home more than enough for the both of them. Uh, we see in verse 17, she, at the end of the day, she brings home an, an ephah of barley, which you all are sitting there thinking, yes, I know exactly what that is. Wow, I can't believe it. Um, we don't need to know the details. We just need to know it. that was a, enough to feed a, a male worker for several weeks. Quite a lot. In fact, that amount of barley would, would weigh between 30 and 50 pounds. And so Ruth um, hauls it all home herself and presents it to Naomi. And, and I just I picture Naomi in this scene as Ruth shows up wherever it is they're living at this point with this huge um, sack of, of grain. And I just picture Naomi's eyes growing large and maybe her her jaw drops. And and you can hear the the astonishment in her question, verse 19. She says, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? And our English version, it it sounds a little flat, but it's kind of the sense of, I can't believe how much you brought home. Where in the world did you work today? And and Ruth's reply she doesn't say where she worked. She says with whom she worked. The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And, and you wonder, had, had Naomi forgotten about Boaz? You know, at the, at the end of chapter 1, as she laments that she's been left empty, did she forget about Boaz? Uh, the, the text doesn't say. We don't know. But, but upon, you know, she hears this name and it's like something clicks for her. Um, one commentator said, the sun rose again in her life and, and the light begins to break into the darkness 
of her grief. And, and we hear words from Naomi that contrast so sharply with the, the words we heard from her earlier in the book. Um, earlier in the book, she's, she's full of lament and grief and bitterness, and, and now we hear words of joy and blessing coming from her mouth. She says, may he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The living being she and, and Ruth, the dead meaning her, her husband and sons. You know, the last time she spoke about the Lord, it wasn't pretty. And, and now um, she knows the Lord is not against her. Uh, because of Boaz, because of his generosity, she realizes the Lord has not forsaken her, has not forsaken Ruth. She says that the Lord has shown kindness. Kindness. It, it's that rich Hebrew word hesed. Uh, we really struggle to capture it in, in English. It's, it's God's loyal love. It's his covenant, steadfast love and, and faithfulness. And Boaz was the agent of the Lord's kindness in their lives. <laughs> Naomi is astounded and she tells Ruth, well, <laughs> this Boaz is, he's one of our redeemers, a, a kinsman redeemer. And, and we'll talk more about that next week as we, as we um, make our way into chapter three. But for now, this, this second act of the story, it ends with Ruth uh, continuing to work in Boaz's fields another six or seven more weeks, all the way through the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. You know, uh, this, the chapter began with emptiness, and now Naomi and Ruth have more food <laughs> than they probably can even eat. The Lord provided abundantly. And so I want to Reflect with you a little bit as we, we look at this story. I want to reflect with you first on God's kind providence. His kind providence. And God's providence is everywhere in, in the book of Ruth. Um, in, in chapter 1, we had to wrestle with God's bitter providence. You know, famine and death and loss and grief. And... I'll say this, this is something I actually love about the Bible. The Bible is honest about our experience in this broken world. It doesn't try to sugarcoat things. Um, It it names our pain and suffering. It it gives voice to our laments. And this is where we often find ourselves, living in this, this sense of maybe the Lord is against me. And, and when we suffer, you know, we, we ask why. It's just natural. Why is this happening? Why is God allowing this? Why doesn't he do something about it? Why does he seem so distant? And, and maybe you've asked those questions this past week. And, and I think we often want to believe that some explanation, some rational explanation for why this is all taking place will somehow... Um, alleviate this this burden that I feel of of grief and and sorrow. And while the Bible helps us to think wisely about suffering, it does say a lot about suffering, it it never fully answers the, the particular question of why me, why this, why now? It just doesn't 
address that. And the book of Ruth certainly never spells out exactly why Naomi and Ruth had to um, suffer in this way, but chapter 2 shows us something uh, we desperately need to recognize, that God's kind providence meets us in the pain. Bitterness was not the end of Naomi's story. When she returned to Bethlehem, that's all she could envision for her future. I, I think Craig said last week she couldn't see beyond her tears. But now in chapter 2, the light of God's kindness begins to break in on her. And she realizes God is here. He hasn't abandoned me. He, he's at work. He's for me. And I want you to understand today, if you are in Christ, that bitter providence is not the only truth about life. Um, God is at work in the details of your life for your good. And some of you maybe need to hear that today. You, you maybe feel like everything is against you. Everything has gone wrong. Everything in your life is just negative. Um, you look back at the past six months and it's, it's negative thing after negative thing. And maybe you feel like you're wilting under God's bitter providence. Ruth 2 would come to you and say, there's more to your story. God is here in Christ. He's with you. He's for you. He's doing good in your life, even if it's difficult to see. You see, ultimately, there is no happenstance. You know, the, the author, the storyteller says, Ruth just happened to land in Boaz's field. Boaz just happened to um, come to the field that day. And, and that may be how it, it, it looks from our perspective. Certainly for Ruth, that's probably how it felt. You know, life is just full of all these details every day and they don't really seem to be that important. And then there's strange coincidences, but we just move on. And, and back behind it all, Scripture tells us, and we see beautifully portrayed here in, in the book of Ruth, is our Heavenly Father working together these events, the, the difficult ones and the, and the happy ones, working them together for our good, weaving together something beautiful, something uh, wonderful, stories of grace, stories of astonishing kindness. That, that, that's what God's providence is about. And there's deep comfort in this, this doctrine of God's Providence. Life is, is not just some uh, random sequence of events before you die. The Heidelberg Catechism says, God watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father in heaven. And, and the Catechism goes on to say that this God is, is almighty and he's our Heavenly Father, and he will turn to good every adversity that we experience. And, and friends, you don't need to see how it's all going to work out. And we very rarely ever have a clue of how it's all going to work out. But you can just do the next thing, like Ruth. She just went out into the field, <laughs> hoping to find favor. You can entrust yourself to the Lord and know that through His kind providence, He's going to do good to you somehow, 
some way, if not in this life, in the life to come. So God's kind providence, and then third, the human face of God's kindness. Now, when you hear this talk about providence, I don't know if to you it just sounds um, maybe abstract, just uh, theological babble, something theology nerds geek out about. But the reality is God's kindness, God's providential kindness in our lives toward his children, it's never abstract. Very often it comes to us embodied in another human. And that was Ruth's experience. You know, it's interesting if you if you compare the book of Ruth to other Old Testament books, um, we don't hear God speak. There, there's no angels, uh, no miracles take place that that uh, to speak of. Instead, God's loving care comes to these women in the guise of human flesh, a, a man named. Boaz, and he's really the the embodiment of the Lord's compassion and and generosity towards these women. That's why Naomi blesses the Lord for Boaz's actions. She saw the human face of God's kindness, so to speak. Now, um, many of you know our our family has tasted a, a bitter providence over the last few months. Um, Stephanie had surgery, and then there were complications, and it's been a, a slow recovery. It's been difficult. We have seen God's goodness. Let me, let me say that right now. We have seen God's kind providence. Sorry. All right. We have seen the human face of his kindness. Uh, a few days after Stephanie came home from the hospital, I had to take her to urgent care. Not what you want to do. And she was seen by this nurse practitioner, a lady named, um, a woman named Kimberly. And and this woman, you know, sometimes you go to urgent care, you go to the emergency room, and, and you encounter, you know, a medical professional who's maybe not so excited about their job. Most of them are. <laughs> um, but this woman, so kind so gentle, so empathetic. She just she took her time with Stephanie to listen, to understand. And, and afterwards, Stephanie and I both remarked at just how kind this woman was. And, and for us, it was a little taste of God's kindness. And then a couple weeks later, we had to go back to urgent care again. And, and on the way there, we're dri- or I'm driving us, and, and I secretly hoped we would see um, this same nurse practitioner. I don't think I could even bring myself to pray it at that point. And I didn't know it at the time, but um, Stephanie prayed for that very thing. And we're waiting in the exam room, and guess who walks through the door? <laughs> nurse practitioner Kimberly, the same woman. And it was all the same kindness, all the same gentleness. Again, the human face of God's kindness. And it's, it's people like Boaz. It's people like this nurse practitioner. Um, they're pointers. They are pointers to the very human face of God's kindness that we meet in Jesus Christ. 
You know, we just a, about a month ago, we celebrated the incarnation, the fact that Jesus is God in human flesh, and, and in that way, he is uniquely the embodiment of God's kindness, the, the embodiment of God's self-giving, uh, loyal love. And so when, when God comes to us in person, in Jesus Christ, who do we meet? We meet a God of astonishing kindness. A God who, who welcomes outsiders. A God who feeds the hungry. A God who dies for the guilty. A God who gives us a place at the table and serves us bread and wine. And this Jesus, he, he promises to be our refuge. We just have these, like Boaz, these gracious words. He promises to, to be our shelter, that we will find safety and protection under his wings. And if you're wilting under a bitter providence today, I want you to hear this. Jesus, the, the human face of God's kindness, He promises never to leave you nor forsake you. You know, is a a Boaz going to show up in your life, some wealthy relative who will just fix everything for you? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. That would be great. But I do know there's no end to Jesus' kindness, to Jesus' loyal love. He's, He's bound himself to us in covenant love and faithfulness, And he will never, he can never forsake his own people. And so you can rest in that reality today under the the shadow and the shelter of his wings. Let me pray for us. Our good and astonishingly kind God and Father, Lord, would you help us to find shelter in the wings of our Savior? Would you meet us with your kindness and your generosity? Would you renew our hope? Would you strengthen our faith as we look to the, the human face of your kindness, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Amen.